be out of Luke chapter 24 verses 1 through 9. That's Luke chapter 24 verses 1 through 9. But on the first day of the week at early dawn they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And, then, and as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this account and testimony, Lord, of your rising from the tomb. And we put our hope in that and uh, believe in that, Lord, and we thank you that you've opened our hearts and minds to do so, that we might be your children and be here today to worship you and just prepare our hearts for that. We we, uh, encourage us, Lord, in this message of the risen Christ and just be with Steve as he preaches that, Lord, that be clarity and power in your gospel, Lord, that it is. Uh, We praise you again for, we thank you for bringing every one of us here, uh, for it is by your sovereignty that these things happen, and and we uh, thank you for being part of your family. In Christ's name, amen. Good morning. Glad that each and every one of you could be here with us this morning, this Easter Sunday, often called Resurrection Sunday. Indeed, it's, it's wonderful to be together and to worship the Lord. Those songs really were heavenly, and, and, and really one way to look at a time like this is, is God wants our hearts to be drawn to him, of course, but in a heavenly way. And, and what we have here is just a little sample of what it's going to be like in heaven, but the songs were beautiful. But the whole time, the, the singing, the worship here, uh, hearing the word and our fellowship should be that. Because as you all know, we live in a sinful world, and it gets pretty tough sometimes. We need to be elevated to the Lord and in a heavenly way on times like this. We really, really need this. But anyway, it's good to see you all uh, talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As you all know, people live, and then they die. And I assume you all know people who have lived and then have died. And I'm talking about physical death. Their heart has stopped. Their blood is not flowing. There's no physical life left in their body. Their physical body is dead. That's what we understand. and We know that. But people have a soul. Every person who has ever lived or ever will live will live on forever. That's the truth. Some people don't believe that. That is the truth. And it's going to be in heaven or hell. A person in heaven is one who has spiritual life. A person in hell is one who is spiritually dead, apart then from the life of God. It says in Isaiah 50, 59 too, Your sins have made a separation between you and your God, 
Your sins have hidden his face from you. So sin is a problem. And people are spiritually dead then because of their sin. Ezekiel 18.4 says the soul that sins will die. Ephesians 2.1 says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And of course all people have sinned as Romans 3.23 says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so people are spiritually dead and physically dead then because of their sin. And if a person who is alive now on this earth remains in his sin and never turns to Jesus Christ and then physically dies, then he'll be eternally dead, separated from the life and love of God forever. It says in First, Second Thessalonians 1, these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Matthew 25, 46 says these will go away into eternal punishment. That is the truth. That is what has happened and will happen. And so all what we're saying then is, is a physical and spiritual and eternal death then are the biggest problems there are. And as any individuals, it's his biggest problem. But that's where God and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit come in because God had a plan, has a plan, and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, they carried it out. That's what took place. The Gospels talk about this plan, the life, the suffering, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They talk about how Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is the Holy One, and he died on the cross to pay for people's sins. These verses, so clear, God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We see the motivation of God's love for us, for God to love the world that he gave his son. You know that verse, then the verse in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made Christ who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's very clear. God made Christ a sinner in a sense because he never sinned, but put our sin on him that we, he might then die for us. And all who repent of their sin and believe that Jesus Christ died to pay for their penalty of their sin, these ones then are forgiven these ones, are, they got their problem of sin and death taken care of. It's, it's, it's solved. And then they'll live forever with God and Jesus Christ in heaven. That's what will happen. And Jesus Christ, then, is the only answer for a person's sin. You talk to a person on the street, and who knows what they might say about, well, how, how do you get to heaven, if they even believe there is a heaven or an afterlife? And there's all kinds of answers. And, of course, the most common answer that appears in many shades is, well, you just got to be a good person. That's, that's it. I mean, I, I just heard on the news, I think this morning, and there's a cardinal up in New York, and, and he says, well, I hope I'm good enough. Okay, that's not it. That is not it. It's a person repenting of their sin and turning to Christ because nobody is good enough. Everyone has sinned. And so Christ, the only answer for a person to be saved and to then get to heaven and then escape hell, that's really really simple and true. Now, some people question whether Jesus Christ really died. They question that. And, but it, it's the truth. And I have just three points on this. First, the dead body, a, a dead body of Jesus was never found, which means he's alive. And, and people looked. I mean, they, they all knew then, you know, in Jerusalem back then, everybody knew that. Christ, he was on the cross. It was a public display. He was buried in a tomb, and they knew where the tomb was at. And they looked. And the, roll, the stone was rolled away. And the Roman soldiers, of course, 
were guarded, and I think they probably got executed because they, quote, let him go. They, they didn't let him go. He got out because he was God's son, and God raised him from the dead. Second, this is an important one. He appeared to many witnesses. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians, if you have, or just listen along. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 3 through 8. And 1 Corinthians 15, if you want to read it sometime, we've gone through it before, but is the, the main primary chapter on the resurrection. The whole chapter, the resurrection. But 1 Corinthians 15, 3. Paul says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised in the third day according to the Scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain now until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. This is important. These are witnesses. We talk about going to a court, you know, and well, you need, you know, and even the Bible and other places, you need two or three witnesses. Two or three witnesses, at least 500 here. Many people would testify. They saw Jesus, they heard Jesus, they talked to Jesus. He was there with them for 40 days. God made it super evident that his son had, yes, died, but also then been raised from that. All these witnesses and some then of course you know they wrote epistles about him and some then wrote gospels and some of course went preaching in all that part of the world about the good news about Jesus Christ so first no body is found second all these witnesses said man he's alive and third thing is this is millions and millions of people's lives have been dramatically changed and powerfully changed and I mean dramatically and powerfully throughout all the years because of Christ's death and resurrection it's by the power of God, it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that this has been happening for the last couple thousand years and will continue to happen. So, so you have all these, all these Christians then who are alive, who are living for Christ, and many have died for Christ. And so you have this testimony of a person's life. And all of you who are true believers, and I was, I was talking to a person today just on the way to church, and he says a person becomes a Christian, their life changes Christian, a true Christian, has a life, and his life has changed. We are the light. We are not darkness. That's, that's the truth. And so all these Christians have been living for Jesus, and they sure wouldn't have done it for a dead man. So Jesus died and rose again, and that's historical, historical fact. Now, I want to explain a little more what it means to be saved. That is, what are the results of Christ's death and resurrection in the lives of Christians and the lives of those who are saved? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 30 and 31, it sums it up. I like verses that give the big picture that sum it all up. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. But by his doing, by God's doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it's written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So it talks here about these three words. Righteousness, which means you've been justified. That took place in the past. And we have this word sanctification, which is going on in the present in our lives. God is making us holy. And thirdly, the word redemption. And the word redemption sometimes is translated as spiritual redemption. You see this in Ephesians 1, verse 17, verse 7. But it's also uh, 
physical redemption, spiritual redemption, and physical. This is related to the physical redemption of our body. So to sum up, in the past, we were born again. We were that time justified. We were made righteous. That is, we were then set free from the power of sin. And at the present, and this is important, as a believer, right now at this time, today, tomorrow, this week, God is sanctifying you. That's his job, his goal, to help you then, to enable you then to escape from the power and influence of sin in your life. You all know what that means. You all know what it means to do something you shouldn't do, the power of sin. But God is helping us as Christians to get victory over the powers. And thirdly, third in the future will be redeemed, will be glorified, will be completely free from the very presence of sin. That's what's going to happen. That's because we'll get a brand new glorified body. I want to go over these, each of these just a little bit more. First, we were made righteous because of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. That is, we were Justified, We were born again. This is what took place in the past at that point in time that you became a Christian. See, sin's our problem. And it's a problem that results in death. The wages of sin is death. Sin and then death. That, those are our main problems. And to get victory over our problem of sin and death, Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins, and then he rose from the dead. So two elements. He died to pay for our sins, and then he rose from the dead, defeating then both sin and death. And if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, that would mean he had not, has not gotten victory over sin and the result of sin, which is death. But he did. He did. And his resurrection, that is solid evidence, clear and convincing evidence that Jesus, indeed Jesus rose from the dead, and that he defeated sin and death, that he made full payment for our sin. That's what we understand. And God the Father knew that Jesus then made full payment for our sin. He knew this. I mean, again, I've said this before. I can't comprehend how you go back 2,000 years now, and Jared, there's Christ on the cross, and our sins were placed on him. I, I, don't, I can't figure it out. The magnitude of that, what he did for every person in the world who'd ever turned, turned to him and trusted him for their salvation. But, but God saw that. He was totally satisfied by what Christ did, and therefore then he raised him from the dead. That's what happened. Now, if you purchase something, you all know this, you make full payment for it. You usually get a receipt, right? Paper receipt, hard copy receipt, or you might get it in your email. You get a receipt. And Christ's resurrection is God's receipt. It's like, God, like a receipt, God's receipt to us, hey, the victory has been won. Christ fully paid for our sins. So we have to first understand the importance of Christ's death and resurrection for our salvation, and that we were then delivered from both sin and death. Secondly, Christ's resurrection is necessary for our sanctification. Romans chapter 6, very important verses. Romans chapter 6, verses 2 through 8. Romans 6, verse 2 says, May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Very important truth there, verse 4. 
If we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. He's talking about your sanctification. He's talking to you about how do you get, practically speaking, victory over the power of sin in your life in this day, during your life here as a Christian. Verse 7, he who has died is freed from sin. Verse 8, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. So what's he saying? Bottom line, one simple way to say it, that because of Christ's death and resurrection, we can now live the Christian life that God wants us to live. These verses tell us what, what God spiritually did for us through Jesus Christ. We see that spiritually speaking, we were buried with him. That's what it says in these verses. We were buried with them, meaning then, meaning then that our sins were paid for, that they were dealt with, and what it says, that our old self was crucified. In the weeks ahead, I'm going to talk a lot more about these, this, 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 this information here, these verses. We were crucified with him, so our old self then no longer lives. That's what we understand. And because of Christ's resurrection and through the work of the Holy Spirit, then we have a new self. All of you who are Christians, your old self is crucified, and you have the new self. And you can live then in the way that God wants you to live. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, you know the verse 17, If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature in Christ. The old things have passed away, the new things have come. That is the truth. Again, what that one person told me this morning, you're a new person. You've changed. Things change. If, if you've not changed at all, I would question whether you're saved. Because a person who is a Christian changes by the power of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so then, as as a new creature in Christ, we have the power and the ability to walk in newness of life just as, as God, just as Christ wants us to walk. That verse I've said, I love this verse, Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Said the same thing here that's said here in Romans 6. We say that Christ lives in us. We mean that Christ lives his life in us through the power and the working of the Holy Spirit. Christ physically doesn't live in us. We understand that. But the Holy Spirit does. John 14, 16, 17, other verses. As a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in you. That then is what enables you to live this brand new life that God wants you to live. And so one effect of the resurrection is that we can live this brand new new spiritual life. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. This is a classy verse. You should put this on your wall. Romans 8, verse 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That's it. Wonderful truth about how to live your life for Christ at this time. I want to read it again. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Isn't that encouraging? Ephesians chapter 1. We're, we're talking now about the power that you need to live the Christian life. And I, When I think of... Um, the resurrection, people have different words they use. Oftentimes people think of the new birth and the hope, you know, and springtime, and that's fine. I think of three words 
three words that come to my mind. First is love. Shows the love of God, the love of Christ, the love of the Holy Spirit for us. Secondly, it's power. It's power. It's power to live the Christian life. Third, it's hope. You have a future. We have a wonderful future. So love in its, its power and its hope. First, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20 says this. And this is, a, this is a prayer that starts in verse 15. Paul's praying. He prays for three things there. He says, first, I pray that you get to know the Lord Jesus. Secondly, I pray that you have hope. And the third thing, I'm praying that you have power. And that's a good prayer for you to pray for yourself and for others. Lord, help my friend there. Help that believer. Help my spouse or whoever. Have the power. The power. Verse 19. What is it? It's, uh, verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the passing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Clearly, it's about the power. It's a power. None of us here, as Christians, can say, I can't do it. I can't live like Christ wants. You can't say that. Not by these verses. Oh, I can't do it. It's too hard. You know, I can't love that person or I can't whatever. You can be and do all that God wants you to be and do by the power. And if not, you're not doing it because you're not accessing the power. It's here. And it's learning by God's grace. And I was just thinking of these verses today because it's, it's 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. My grace is sufficient for you. Power is made perfect in weakness. He said, well, I feel weak all the time. Well, that's when you look to Christ. And then he says, therefore, I'll, I'll, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses that Christ's power may rest on me. And then he says, that's why I'm well content with weakness and insult and hardship and difficulty and persecution. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And that's what you need to learn. Because you go through life and think, well, every day I should just be feeling Superman charged. No. I, I rarely feel that way. And you know what I'm saying. All of it, None of you feel that way every day, do you? Maybe once in a while, but not usually. It's learning to access the power of God through the working of the Holy Spirit. Through your humility, admission to God, I need your help, and he will give you all that you need to be and do what he wants. Even when you're weak. Even when you're sick. Even when there's hardship and difficulty, etc., etc., etc. So an incredible amount of spiritual power is available to you. You have the resurrection power of God. That's what it's saying. God wants you to understand this. We talk about a new life, but we've got to talk about the power. You're not going to have the new life that God wants you to have. Philippians 3, 10, 11 says it this way. It says, I want to know Christ. And, and in the Greek, there's this word kai, K-A-I. And means, here's another important thought. It's not just a comma. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. So we should say that. I want to know Christ, very important, primary. With it, I want to know his power. I want to know it. As a Christian, I want to see his power living in and through me today. I want it. You can pray that. That's what he says. I want to know his power. Philippians 4.13, you know the verse, I believe, says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. That is, you can do all the things that God wants you to do through his, his strength, through his spirit. I can. I can. So none of this I can't. And this is going to happen this week. Something's going to come up, and I just can't do it. I'm just defeated. I'm just a nobody. And maybe as a Christian, you've suffered defeat in certain areas of life for years, and you feel like you're really stuck in a rut. God can still help. 
that's what we have this Resurrection Sunday. I mean, really, this is a message for every day of the year, every day of your Christian life. And so, we've talked about because of Christ's death and resurrection, you've been justified, and you're now being sanctified. That's what's happening. You have to be aware of this. What's God doing? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you to work and to will for his good pleasure. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. So again, he's working in your life today tomorrow. Don't forget that. Now we're talking about the future. Talk about the past. Made righteous, justified, the present, being sanctified, the future, you be glorified. As you know, you're very much aware, you're still in your fleshly body. You're all here. I can see you. You know, you're dressed up. You all look nice today, but you're in your fleshly body. That's what's going on. But because... Christ, of Christ's physical resurrection, you will be physically glorified. You need to think about this. And, and most, most churches don't talk about this like they are. It's really a shame. It's really a big, big shame. You'll be glorified. I've talked about this. There's so much, there's so much in the Bible about this. But when does this take place? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 20 to 23. 1 Corinthians 15 to 20 to 23 tells us when. But now Christ, verse 20, has been raised from the dead, past tense, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. This is being made fully alive, that is, physically alive in a glorified way. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after that those who are Christ at his coming. Clearly we see this, and we know this. We're talking about how Christ was raised from the dead 2,000 years ago. And when we raised from the dead, it says it very clearly. It's at Christ's coming, at the coming of Christ. And that phrase, some people might debate me on this, but I don't have any question about it, is a technical phrase. You see this phrase, the coming of Christ what, 15, 20 different times in the New Testament. It's a phrase. It means something. Not some amorphous, symbolic. At the coming of Christ, at the literal coming of Christ to this earth, at the coming of Christ is when we are made alive. That is when we are glorified. That's what it's saying. And because we live in the end times, it's not going to be long from now. I mean, you think about somebody like Abraham. He lived about, what, 4,000 years ago, right? He had to wait a long time. He's still not glorified. We live in the end times the way I've talked. I believe, we could talk about this a lot more in the near future, is that, that it's not going to be more than 30, 40, 50. If we get past up to 2,100, I'd be shocked. So here's Abraham waiting 4,000 years, and we might have to wait 20, 30, 40. We'll get a new body, okay, when Christ comes back, because we live in the end times, and it is so clear, it is so obvious what is going on in our world today that Christ is coming soon. Another verse, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. What some call the rapture passage. Verses 14. You need to see how this starts off. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. See in there that the death and resurrection of Christ is the basis for what we're going to say right now. He puts it right there. You can't miss it. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord. 
the coming of Christ. We'll not precede those who fall asleep, but the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort, or also translate encourage, encourage one another with these words, which is important. I'll just make this a quick add-on is that, that how can you encourage people? The fact that Christ is coming back. And there'll be a rapture on this earth. And we'll be glorified. That's what he's saying. And so this, this section of verses, just to go back now, is, is for Christians. Non-Christian can't make sense of this. This is for Christians who've repented of their sins and believe that Jesus Christ died and, and paid for their sins and then rose again. We just read in, in 1 Corinthians 15 that will be glorified at the coming of Christ. These verses tell us the exact same thing. Again, a lot of people debate that. A lot of good Christians, evangelical Christians who believe that Christ come back. Oh, no, there's two different coming. One coming. One coming of Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 23 said it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15 says it too. At that time, then, we will be glorified. That's what we're saying. So what we say, see, in these verses, and this is important to understand, all believers who've already died or in heaven will be glorified at the coming of Christ. And a split second later, a split second, however long that split second is, all believers who are on earth will then be glorified. Okay, that's, that's what we know. We also learn about this rapture in this verse here. It says caught up, okay, from a Latin word repere um, is where we get the word rapture. Says says, rapture in a word that means that believers on earth be snatched away or suddenly caught up. That's what the idea it means to steal, take away quickly. This word rapture they'll be caught up, and as they then are being caught up, they will be glorified. And then right after that, they will join all the believers who've already died or in heaven, and they will be together united. And then together they'll meet Christ Jesus in the air, in the clouds. And, and as a Christian, you will be there. You know, you, you know certain things about your future. As a Christian, you will be there. You'll be glorified. Can you imagine the celebration that will be? We have good celebrations here and there, do this, that, and the other. But, man, that'll be wonderful. I mean, talk about the ecstasy, the excitement, the, 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 the jubilation, the shouting. We're <laughs> all believers from all time, up to that point in time. Because more will get saved in the millennial kingdom, end of the story. All believers will be then joining Christ. And you've got the Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 to 11, talks about this worshiping the Lord, worshiping God the Father in heaven. So, because of Christ's resurrection, will be glorified as 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 42 to 44 says, it'll be a powerful body, all the power you need to do everything God wants. Some people think, well, I, I don't know what's going to happen in heaven and the millennial kingdom. Well, you have all the power. Immortal is the next word used there. It means you'll never die. Glorious means beautiful. It means wonderful. It means perfect in every way, shape, and form. Perfect for what God wants you to be and do for the rest of eternity. You know, it says that we are as workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And that good works goes all the way through eternity. God has your whole life figured out now and forever. Wonderful truth. And the final word is spiritual. So you have a physical body in the future, but it's also spiritual. It means you can do the spiritual things that God wants. You, you know the verse. 
Mark 12, 30, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you think, man, if I do that 5% of the time, I'm lucky, right? I probably think the same. My loving God with all my heart, soul, and strength every second. Are you kidding me? I'm sorry. I admit I'm, I fail. But then all the time. And many other verses like that. Perfect spirit because you're a spiritual body. Powerful, immortal, glorious, and spiritual. Turn to Flip, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection in the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. That last verse, speaking of when you then will be glorified. Turn to First Peter. There's many verses, as you can get a sense here. There are many verses on the, on the resurrection of Christ. It's such an important subject, of course, we know that. First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. First Peter 1, verse 3 to 9. says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Again, the, the foundation of this death and resurrection of Christ, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. I, I'm always intrigued how right away he jumps to the future. We're protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, but now it comes back to the present. In this, at this point in time, you greatly rejoice, even though now, at this time, for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, believe in him. You greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Wonderful little section about the results of the resurrection. That we're born again. That is, we're justified. We also then have this hope, which is referring to our future. It says there this salvation that will be revealed in the last time. That is, then we get glorified. We get this brand new body. We have this incredible inheritance. But as we just saw, verses 5 to 8 speak of our life here on this earth. And again, it's by the resurrection power of God that we can live the life that God wants us to live. Now, the book of Acts... We'll look at a few verses in just in a minute. Makes it clear that the main message of the apostles is the death and resurrection of Christ. That's the main thing. The main thing. And, and you need to take this to heart. As you know, all know, we think and we talk about a lot of things in life. But we need to be thinking and talking about the resurrection. This is, this is so important. This truth here. And not, not only that, but it's always fresh and new. Oh, this is another Easter message here. We're going to hear this again. I've heard this. People. No. This message of Christ's death and resurrection is powerful today and tomorrow and for all eternity. So you need to understand that. Not old message. Oh, I'm going to read that Luke 24 again. Or that Matthew 28. You know. No, this is new. If, if, if you're not thinking it's brand new and exciting and fresh for today, then something's not clicking right in your brain and your heart. 
this message then again relates to what, what, what God in Christ did, the Holy Spirit did in saving you, and are now doing it in sanctifying you, and what they'll do in glorifying you. But let's turn to Acts just for a minute. Just to, I mentioned there's, that's the main message, and it's pretty obvious when you go through here. Acts 2, 23 to 24 says, This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it is impossible for him to be held in his power. Chapter 2, verse 31 to 32, it says, He looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Haiti nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murder to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. Chapter 4, verses 10 to 12. Let it be known to all of you and to the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands here before you in good health. He is a stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone, and there's salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Finally, go to Acts chapter 17, Acts 17, 30, and 34. Paul's in Athens. He's talking to pretty much of a godless city. He doesn't really stay there very long, but this is what he says here, and this is verse 30. Um, Having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Every person is accountable to God. God proved that Jesus is his son. He died, then he raised him from the dead. That's, that's key, it's critical. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer. But others said, we shall hear you again concerning this. So Paul went out of their midst. But some men joined him and believed, got saved, among whom were Dionysus and Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. So that's encouraging. But the point I want to say is, uh, an unbeliever says, well, this resurrection don't affect me. Yes, it does. Because it's proof that Jesus Christ is God and that you are accountable to him. It's proof. Don't reject him. They, you know. They say church tennises continue to go down, you know, and how many people in church in this country today? Around a few, 20%, maybe 30, 40, maybe Easter brings up to 50, I don't know, but how many go regular? Point is, how many are really true believers? So the point is, is keep thinking about the truth of Christ's death and resurrection. And again, let me say to you, remember that God gives you all the power you need to live the Christian life. And again, be thinking always, every day, of the hope that God has for you stored up, that you'll be in heaven, in a glorified body, and forever and ever. But it's only, I'll just make this one little quick comment. You know, we have the millennial kingdom coming up. And two or three posts before, I, I think I wrote down 40 different thoughts, truths about the millennial kingdom. You need to read these things, okay? There's a lot of things I say there that I, never, I rarely ever say here on Sunday. 40 different particular things happening in the millennial kingdom. 40. Lots happening. But the one thing, the one thing that's going to happen is that's when death is finally wiped out. You come to Revelation chapter 21, no more death. It's through, and you see this 1 Corinthians 15, 20, 28, 20, 28 there, that Christ, part of his purpose during the millennial kingdom is to defeat death totally. Wipe it out. 
And so only after the millennial kingdom, after this next thousand years, when we're going to be there, reign with Christ, is death completely, completely gone forever. And so, like we read in Acts, we need to be telling people this news. This is part of our job as a Christian, to be a light. Be a light by our life, by our actions, by our conduct, and, and be ones who are speaking the truth to others because this is the most important news. This is the most important message, what we're talking about today. This is it. This is it. It's what people need to hear more than anything else. I mean, you can, you can walk up to somebody. I mean, if, if you're bold like this, you can walk up and say, hey, um, you heard about the death and resurrection of Christ? <laughs> Good line. <laughs> Use it. See what happens. And then explain what it all means. Explain it. Again, it's what people need to hear more than anything else because it's a message of life. And as you know, life, if you think about the big picture and everybody on this planet, everybody, there's a lot. It's a matter of life or death. You know, what? The, you, know what the, the, you look online and you Google how many people die a day. 330,000 people, they say, die in the world every day. 330,000. 330,000. You know how many that is a second? Four people a second. During the course of our service, that's close to 20,000 people die. Go to where? Heaven or hell? That's, a, that's, that's a sobering. 20,000 every, every day all over this world. Let's close with one verse, John chapter 11. Jesus said, talking to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time you've given us to be together, to worship, to sing, to hear truth. We need to hear your truth about how we then are to live and what's happened to us and what's happening to us now and in the future. It's a wonderful thing. People are so consumed by their lives and this, things in this earth and are so worldly, as it says in Luke 8. People, they go on their way, choked by life's worries and riches and pleasures. We see it all the time. Might you help us to be ones who are single-minded, single-hearted, devoted to you. Love you, Lord. I want to do whatever you say. Help us to be like that, Lord. Thank you for every person here, Lord. I know, God, that your eye is upon them, their own life, their own situation, their own trials, all you have planned for them. I pray that you would put in their heart uh, this spirit of love and power and of hope, Lord, to, to, help them to see that, hey, by your grace and by your power, they can indeed live the life you want them to live. So might we then be excited, might we be wanting to live for you. So it says in Corinthians, at that last verse, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your work is not in vain. Every day you have work for us to do. Help us to walk with you and to follow you and be led by your spirit. But again, thank you for everyone here. Thank you for their life. Just use them, teach them, encourage them, protect them. Our entire church, those who couldn't be with us today, Lord, I think of Carol and Carol and Jeff, who wasn't feeling good this morning. Just pray for these and others. Lord, and those who are online watching, Lord, thank you for everybody. But, Lord, again, we just bless you. 
thank you that you're with us, you love us, you lead us. It's such a wonderful truth to know that we have eternal life. We're with you now, but we'll really be with you in the future in heaven and, and forever and ever. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.